Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, big news in our new issue. Sean Kanan is back at Bold and Beautiful after a four-year absence in which we saw his character, Deacon, carted off to prison for taking shots at Quinn. So Sean tells us he's thrilled to be back and had the biggest smile on his face driving through the gates at CBS. And this time around, we're going to see Deacon team up with Sheila, played by Kimberlyn Brown. Now, fun fact, these two have never worked together before, so they're both really looking forward to exploring that dynamic, and I think it's going to be great. I agree. You know, I think Deacon is probably B&B's most iconic bad boy, and it goes about saying that Sheila is the show's most iconic villainess, and what could be better than an unholy alliance between them? When we had uh, Sean on the podcast a few months ago, I think it was obvious how much affection he, uh, he has for Deacon, how much fun he thought Deacon was to play. And I was just so excited for him on a personal level that he's back on the canvas. But story-wise, I think there's so much potential for him. You know, whatever he and Sheila cook up, obviously is at the top of that list, but also getting to see him with his daughter, Hope. And uh, he's got some exes still in town. So I am getting my popcorn ready. Another return fans have to look forward to this week is taking place on YNR. The uber popular duo of Summer and Kyle will be back on screen in the form of Michael Mueller and Hunter King, whose characters are set to attend the Italian nuptials of Ashlyn and Victoria. So they had hinted when they were guests on the podcast that it wouldn't be long before we saw them again. And I am sure many Skyle fans are super duper excited that the time has come. We have uh, interviews with both of them in the new issue. Uh, Michael described being back on set as like going back to school after summer break. And Hunter admitted that she was a little uncomfortable at first because she felt like she was in the spotlight since she hadn't been there for a while. But within minutes, it felt like old times. Uh, so they both really cherished getting to be back with their YNR family. And we can only hope that this is the first of many visits from the two of them. Oh, here, here. Um, now, Janice Lind, an original cast member of Young and the Restless, will also be back as Leslie at that wedding you mentioned. Um, our colleague Devin Owens spoke to her, and a couple of things I never knew. One, that she really played piano, and <laughs> also that she's an opera singer. Uh, we will see her tickle the ivories at the celebration for Victoria and Ashland. And I don't know, there's just a fun little story about her that people should read in our new issue. Mm -hmm. um, now, a headline I haven't really had the opportunity to write before in my 25 or so years of covering Days of Our Lives is, The Devil Wants Ben and Sierra's Baby. So yes, Satan will urge Marlena to convince Ben that having a child is the best idea because the devil wants that baby for himself. So I spoke to Rob Wilson, who plays Ben, and it's really funny getting everyone's perspective on being part of the possession story. I mean, the sentiment has been unanimous from all of the actors I've spoken to and that they are psyched to be part of such an iconic day's tale. Well, how could you not? I mean, this is a water cooler moment for the show, for sure. Uh, well, when it comes to iconic GH stories, our guest today, Fanola Hughes, has been a part of so many of them over the years that she has played the super spy Anna Devane, and her fans are just as passionate about her and her character today as they were when she rose to fame in the 80s, and I couldn't be more thrilled to chat with her today. 
Oh, me too. I mean, I always say she is the actress and character who we get the most mail about and is as popular today as she was when she first debuted back when I was a viewer of the show. Uh, so let's get her on the line and talk about all things Vanilla Hughes. Hi, Vanilla. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm in sunny California. We actually had rain yesterday, so Ooh. we're super excited. Everybody's sort of walking around dazed, you know, they're like, what was that strange stuff from the sky? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> well, we, have been looking forward to this podcast since we started podcasting. So we couldn't be more excited to talk to you today. It's so fun. This is so fun. You're, you're two of my favorite ladies. Totally. It's just really great. Ditto. Um, well, speaking of rain, we're going to start in the beginning. You were born and raised in London. Tell oh, yeah, us about your childhood. Um, my childhood was it, like, when I look back on it, it's, it was pretty charmed because all I seem to remember is dancing, you know, I sort of danced my way through it all. And um, yeah, I mean, my mom put me in ballet when I was three and that was it. I took to it like a duck to water or a swan to the lake. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, and that was it. You know, I just, uh, we had a pretty, we, we, you know, we weren't well off at all. You know, everything I did, me and my brother, we got like, grants and scholarships and stuff like that to different schools and you know he went on he's a surgeon now so he went to medical school and and I came to America and um you know my parents died young I lost them when I was sort of 18 or something and uh and my dad when I was 20 23 24 and so um you know like Ian likes to say we're that special sort of uh adult orphan and um uh, and you know it's it's all it's all good and i'm very close with my brother and um very close with him he's he's really like my favorite person in the whole world he's he's amazing oh. and um yeah that's it you know it was like a big irish family like you know lots of lots of irish stuff <laughs> whatever, whatever that is Ireland you know visit we went every summer to to see there's just a thousand people once you're part of an Irish family you kind of walk along the street in Cork and people will be like oh that's your cousin over there you're like I've like never seen her in my life okay and two people turned up to my wedding and they were standing right in front of me and they're like where are you where are your you know long lost cousins from such and such and I was like how did you get in <laughs> I hear about it. How are you here? And they're like, oh, we came with Auntie So-and-so. She thought you wouldn't mind. And I'm like, I just have to set you a place for dinner. I mean, yeah, sure. But yeah, it was great. I mean, like, uh, and even to this day, you know, there's like a lot of us over here in America. So I have cousins here who I probably don't know. <laughs> well, maybe they'll reach out to you after this podcast. They may. They may well. So I'm so interested in the fact that you started dancing when you were three. I know you started ballet shortly thereafter, I think at 10. So I'm curious if, you, if it feels to you like something that you actively chose to pursue or if it was just sort of always part of your life and you just went along with it naturally. Um, I'm not sure. I think my mom took me to like the ballet Rambert was right around the corner to where we lived. And for some reason, my mom was, you know, she was quite daring. And I think she just opened the side door to like, where they were rehearsing. I remember this so clearly, and I must've been like three, I mean, or, or five maybe at that point. And she opened the door and we were looking down on all these people dancing. And I remember saying, oh, I, I, ha I have to do that. I want to do that. And she was like, okay. And we closed the door. Like, I think we stood there for a little while, but, and then, you know, and then I just was really lucky. I had these amazing teachers who, uh, Rita Dias was, uh, she was my first ballet teacher and, and, you know, they just all kind of inspired me. And, um, and really it was just about being the center of attention. <laughs> I, mean, I think, you know, we can just be as basic as that. I was like, damn, people look at me. Great. <laughs> like, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and I've never stopped since. <laughs> I'm still here. One of your claims to fame is that you originated the role of Victoria, the white cat in the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats, one of the most successful musicals of all time. And in Now fact, and forever. Yes, now and forever. <laughs> and in fact, you were one of the first dancers in the door to start working with the choreographer. So can you describe the experience of just working in that musical and then living through it, becoming such a phenomenon? 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Jilly Lynn, Jillian Lynn was the choreographer, a fabulous, renowned choreographer, amazing woman, passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, just incredible, like, that's a real, real true inspiration. Like, her, like, Jilly Lynn and then Gloria Monty, like, these were the two powerhouse women that really shaped my early life, you know, after my mother, obviously. And, um, Jilly sort of took me under her wing and there was probably three or four of us, three of us and her assistant who she just choreographed the whole show on. She like just started on us and we were there for six weeks prior to anybody else coming in, which was this sort of wonderful bubble. And Andrew would come in all the time. Trevor Nunn, who was the director, he didn't come in that often, but he, he waited until everybody came in because he was more of the director of the, you know, the, of the whole show in a way. And Jilly was the um, choreographer, obviously, and Andrew was, wrote the music. And I remember one day, um, Andrew coming in and, and uh, he said, uh, I've got, I've got a refrain. Um, very sweetly, quietly spoken man. And I, I have a refrain. I want to just try it. And so he started to play that theme, the cat's theme, which is, you know, um, but just single on the piano. He said, you know, I just want to try this, just uh, like just one pianist playing this, which was him, <laughs> just just a pianist. <laughs> and um, and, um, and it was the, you know, this theme. And, and Jilly said, why don't we just have one cat like sort of in the middle of the stage and just a spotlight and we'll do this. And then she just choreographed this little thing and which was this little solo that's Victoria's solo at the beginning of the show. And, and I remember sort of standing there as he was playing this and Jilly said, why don't you just be a cat stretching? And so we just sort of started to roll around the floor and she, get, she did some movements. And so she sort of stood me in the middle of the room and she just said, why don't you just start stretching like a cat? And, and um, so I just started to do some movements and she started to choreograph some stuff and it was just the two of us. And I remember thinking, this is pretty special right now, whatever this is, I have no idea what this is. And I was 21, I guess, maybe um, 20, maybe 20. And Andrew was playing and, and, and then he started to get really excited and he was like, oh, how about we do this? And, and uh, yeah. And that was that little solo. And it was pretty cool. And I remember, like, when we did the first night, I just remember thinking, oh, I never doubted for a second this was going to be a huge success. Whereas it's been recorded that Cameron McIntosh, who is the producer, the you know executive producer, and Trevor and Andrew and Jilly were all out in the bar. And they were drinking, like, for the first act. And this is in Cameron's documentary, actually when he talks about it and um, they were just like, oh, the audience is silent. Like this is all going downhill. Let's just get super drunk. And, and anyway, the first act finished and the audience erupted and they, the three, the, the three of them ran to the doors and were looking through and they couldn't believe what was happening. And um, the four of them, rather, the four of them just ran to the door and they could see that the audience were, had erupted. And, and that was it. That was the beginning. I read this really fascinating interview uh, with you from 1982, right before Cats premiered on Broadway, uh, where you said, I don't want to be an actor. And you explained that you just felt a freedom in dance that you didn't feel when you were uh, acting and you felt more control uh, as a dancer than an actor. But we know that by 1983, you were starring opposite John Travolta in Staying Alive. Uh, so there was obviously some overlap between dance and acting, but how did you make the, or I guess how and why did your transition from dancing to acting come about? You know, it was actually a, a moment with Trevor Nunn and uh, during Cats and he invited each of us up and he gave us three words that were to be our character. He whispered them in our ear uh, not weird at all. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, I remember when he said the three words that were mine, which I have now forgotten, um, <laughs> that I thought, Oh, this must be what acting is about. It's about developing a character and you have 
some words that sort of, you know, describe your character. And I remember being fascinated. And um, so that was the big hook. And then Mike Lee, who was a big, big director in England, just started to put out these amazing, uh, he had probably started in 1979, maybe earlier, uh, putting out these incredible um, movies and plays. And they were so real that I, I remember looking at those thinking, if I could do something like that, you know, that would, would be very cool. And, and I, I, I don't know, it was just something that kind of resonated with me. Um, and I guess uh, there is a certain control that you have with dance because you're in control of your instrument. And um, whereas you're not so much, because acting is a bit more ephemeral and, and you know, there's just, it changes from moment to moment, like with what your partner gives you and what suddenly occurs. And it's all more imp improvisational in a way, even though you have a script, blah, blah, blah. But um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I use the disciplines of dance in acting and vice versa. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about getting cast in Staying Alive and then also working with John Travolta. Okay, so I was doing another Andrew Lloyd Webber show um, called uh, Song and Dance. And just a casting director called me and said, would you come in and, and read for this uh, part? And I was like, sure. And um, it was just an English role. I mean, it was just a, and she was a dancer and she was kind of bitchy. And, and, um, and I just, I just, that was it. I mean, I just, it was put on tape. And that tape got sent to Sly, I guess, Sly Stallone. And, uh, and then maybe a week or so later, they were like, oh, we'd like you to fly out to Hollywood and audition for this. And I was like, what, wait, what? And um, so that happened. And, and I remember um, getting in the car. I was picked up at the airport. Like, I flew first class to LA, which was stupid. I was 22. <laughs> <laughs> 21 still probably 21 22 because it was oh no maybe I I mean it's all I can't remember anyway it was within those first three years of, of your 20s and the man who picked me up he had a woman he, what was his name I can't remember what his name was anyway I'll think of it and he was the driver and um he became my driver actually when I shot the movie which was really cool uh Really, really sweet, sweet man. And I remember saying to him, do people get flown out to do auditions like a lot? And he said, oh yeah, it happens. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I just thought, oh, all right. So that's, you know, I'm just one of those people that get flown out for auditions. Um, but yeah, you know, um, when I did the audition, you know, I did it with John and he was there. I did the dancing audition first and then the acting thing. And then, um, and then Sly said, oh, well, we'd like you to play this role. And I just was like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and he was like, what? Like, you're not gonna jump up and down and scream or something? And I was, and I remember saying, well, I'm English. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, and so he laughed. Mm -hmm. and that was that. And how was working with John? God, he's the best person ever. He's just the best. I just adore him. He was so kind, like just really, I mean, I know I've said this over and over. He's just really kind and like a really genuine person and um, took me under his wing. You know, he looked after me. I'd never been to America. It was great. It was really fun. Well, fast forward to 1985 and Gloria Monty, the legendary executive producer of GH, who you mentioned, uh, was said to have wanted someone like the woman from Staying Alive to take on the role of Anna, a woman from Robert's past. So what do you remember about how getting that job came about? I didn't have any clothes to wear for the audition. And I was sleeping on the couch of a really, 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 really dear friend of mine, Donna, who is still one of my best friends. And I'd met her during Staying Alive, actually. And uh, she was um, casting director assistant. Now she's like a massive casting director. So, uh, so I was sleeping on her couch. I've been there for six weeks. <laughs> yes, I know all the stories about the three days and everything, but yeah, <laughs> for six weeks. And she, to her credit, hadn't said, get out of my house. Um, because she was still, uh, you know, she used to go to work every day looking immaculate because she was, a trainee 
uh, somewhere or other for, for um, being a, a, a casting director. And um, so I got an audition to go to this, to, to, for this role on General Hospital. And I'm like, you know, what can you tell me about General Hospital? So Donna sat me down and we watched some of the soaps and she said, you've got to look really good. And I was like, yeah, I mean, these girls, they, they look amazing. And so she lent me a cobalt blue padded shoulder silk dress, which was de rigueur. It was 1984, I think. Yes, sir. Shoulder pads, of course. Massive blue and a string of pearls, which I had never worn. And um, so that's how I went to the audition. And uh, it was on a soundstage. And I remember going to the audition and I had this, it was an audition where I was playing opposite someone that was supposedly Robert. And then I called, I had to use one of those old fashioned phones. And like I, I speed dialed somebody, I called somebody um, on a phone that was on the wall. So it was literally on the wall. And um, I remember thinking, why don't I call, in my mind, I thought I should call somebody that means something to me. And so I did. And for some reason, I decided to get emotional for the phone call. <laughs> I'm not sure it was in the script, but I was like, that's sort of interesting that I'm calling someone that means a lot to me. And, um, and so I did that because, you know, there was nobody at the other end of the line. I can do whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I didn't hear anything for weeks. And, uh, one day they called and said, yeah, they want you to come in and, um, and play this role again. It was sort of, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so that was that. I don't know why I didn't hear anything. I think maybe they were auditioning lots of other people. Okay, I guess we'll go with her. Um, <laughs> Let's take her. She got all weird on the phone. That might be. <laughs> she was great promise. Yeah, she was great promise. She's as nutty as we are. Let's go with her. Yeah, great. Well, what are your early memories of Tristan Rogers, who played Robert? So he comes into my dressing room. Um, the, I'm sure I've told these stories before because there's only a few of them, like from that first day. But um, he comes into my dressing room and is like, "You want to want to want to rehearse?" And I'm like, "Sure." And he looked like Steve McQueen. Okay, this is the first time I'd seen him because I didn't know who I was playing opposite. And even though I'd watched the show, I still, you know, I didn't really, you know, take it in. I wasn't sure what was happening really. And so um, he comes in and he props himself up on the sink. And I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, he looks like Stephen Queen. Oh my God. Like, and then he just starts rehearsing and blah, blah, blah. blah. And, I, and I'm like, okay. And um, we just rehearse and I'm, I know my words, I know my lines and I'm all ready. So we go upstairs and we do the scene where I think the first scene we did together was at the bar and a, a, a cocktail gets pushed towards him. It's one of those cocktails that I don't know what they're called. Some, some clever person's going to know. And it's where they're, I guess the different liqueurs are put in there as to how much they weigh and they make stripes. And it was a little cocktail thing gets pushed over towards them. And apparently that was our drink, which it looked disgusting, but anyway. <laughs> and um, we start working together. We do like all these scenes. Um, and as we walk away from the set, he's walking next to me and he puts his arm around me and goes, we're gonna have fun kid. <laughs> That was what he said. And I was like, okay. And he's called me kid ever since. <laughs> like even today, it's like, you know, all right, kid. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of kids, you were like 23, 24. And they say, guess what? You have a seven-year-old. Uh, Kimberly McCall is Robin. Uh, oh she described to the us. Legend, the legend. The legend. The legend. The living legend. Uh, so... You know, it really kind of always just strikes me how uh, wild it is that you had to play all these things that you'd never, you weren't close to experiencing in real life. And you did it so amazingly well. Like looking back, how do you think you did it? Well, she was adorable. <laughs> it was just so easy. It was like falling off a log. I mean, you know, you just like, you know, you just wanted to squeeze her. And so, um, and she was so good, you know, like uh, when when we auditioned her, um, cause I know it's hard to believe, but I would say 40 to 50% of everything we did was improvised back then. Like for certain, for certain people, 
like Tristan. <laughs> and <laughs> mainly Gary. Tristan. Mainly Tristan. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, so, but Gloria loved it. She loved it because she was like, you know, if you have something better that you want to say or just come back to the, come back to the story at some point. And um, so she asked this little girl, like Kimberly, she said, can you improvise with these two monsters that were me and Tristan? And she just gave us as good as we, you know, she just gave us as good as we got. And um, she was amazing. And we were like, oh yeah, this is it. This was so easy. It was just so easy. All of it was so easy. Like, I don't remember, it was all play. Like we were just playing so much of the time. And we were allowed to live like, you know, if you doing if you were doing a scene where people getting into bed, like the little girl used to get into bed with us in the morning and jump on, you know, if you were doing scenes like that, they would just go on and on. Tristan would say something and then I would say something and, you know, like he would get out of bed and the camera would be like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to follow him. And and nobody really knew where he was going to stand or what he was going to do. And Gloria would just say, follow him, just follow them which the cameraman did. I mean, you know, and today they'll do the same thing, but it's not asked of them as much. You know, they, they really, because we move much faster. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a different, it was just different. Like we, it was very much about um, uh, living, living on camera. And, and they, they just wanted us to sort of do that, inhabit the characters. Gloria was all about that. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And, and little Kimberly did exactly that. Amazing. Well, if anyone doesn't know who the Ian you've been referring to is, <laughs> in 1986, Anna got a new love interest, Duke Lavery, played by Mr. Ian Buchanan. So obviously, he is an important person in your life still today. Yeah. Um, and the Duke and Anna love story was super popular. So what are your standout memories of the early days of your friendship with Ian and the Duke and Anna era in general? Well, he was just so self-contained. Like he was just so, you know, elegant and suave and just really, um, like he was a huge influence on, on me. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like both, both Tristan and, and, and um, Ian uh, in my, cause you spend most of your time working with these guys. And I, like he'd come from, um, I guess, uh, the actress studio in, in, in New York. So it was different style. Like he had a different style. And I think I started to adopt that style. It was just very minimal, like his wardrobe, unlike me who had frills and God knows what he was very, you know, it's very, more black and was, you know, very, very put together. And um, he taught me a lot about just listening and waiting for things to feel right before you spoke and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there was a great confidence to his work, I have to say. You know, where Tristan would like be daring and kind of, um, just uh, roll with the punches and not give you the line that he was supposed to, <laughs> which was great because you then had to, you know, figure it out. Um, Ian would also improvise like a lot, but it, it was different. It was, it was just a, a really different um, connection that, that the two characters had and that I had with Ian. And um, uh, yeah. So I'm, you know, he's godfather to my kids and, you know, or I'm very, very close to him, very close to him. Uh, and, and it's a great friendship that I'm so fortunate that he walked into my life and I walked into his vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of fun. Um, you know, something else I'm curious about. So when you started the show, when were you told about the scar? So when I started, like my... She said, do her, like Gloria, Gloria said, um, to came down to hair and makeup and said, I want you to do her hair like Veronica Lake, like sort of bend it and have it go over one eye. And I was like, cool. You know, I'd seen Veronica Lake. I knew who she was. And, um, and she said, it's mysterious. And I was like, okay. So I don't know that they were going to keep me because I only had, like, I didn't have like a long contract. And then one day they came in and they said, um, like, I think it was, I think I had a three month contract and they, they said, we want to, we want to extend your contract. We're just going to do it now. We want to start a new contract with you. And it was like three years. And I was like, okay, sure. 
it was around that time. So what, what my guess is that, that they were going to maybe spring the scar on me and then, you know, I was going to be out of there. I don't know what the whole deal was because I was basically brought in for Emma's exit, like Emma Sands was exiting to go to do Colby's. So I was brought in around that time. And I think it was to make this that transition or something. I mean, look, I don't know. You know, I'm pretending I know what was going on. I, I didn't. I just was you know, cleaning my teeth and going to work. Um, so Gloria called me into her office and that was never good. Like when you were called into Gloria's office, two things were never good. One was when the footsteps were heard on the, on the soundstage, <laughs> click, 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 click. And you would be standing in a scene and you'd be looking around and you'd be like, I hope it's you. And it's <laughs> whoever you were looking at, you're like, I hope it's you. It's not me in your head. You're just like, God, don't let it be me. And so click, click, click. That was one thing. The other thing was, please go to Gloria Monty's office. It's the same now. If you're like, um, can you, like at the end of a scene, it'll come over the tannoy. Uh, so-and-so, can you please go to Frank's office? And it's always James. It's always James Patrick. And it's always... James, can you go to Frank's office? And I always look at him like, it's you. <laughs> get it. I'm like, bye. It was really nice working with you. <laughs> and I say that every time he gets called. I don't know why he always gets called to the office, but he does. Um, so um, it's usually because he's giggling. Um, so I get called to Gloria's office and she says, I want you to watch something. Darling, I want you to watch something. And so the, uh, she had a television on the wall, which I thought was so glamorous. Um, Cause now, you know, every three-year-old has a television on their wall. Um, so she's showing a black and white movie, which was jo uh, Joan Crawford, a, a woman's face. Is that Joan Crawford? I think so. Anyway, um, somebody will correct me, I'm sure. And she, is walking up a staircase or coming down a staircase and it's all lit, you know, that fabulous uh, lighting in the black and white movies. And, and she leans against the wall and then she turns and she's dramatically talking to somebody up the staircase or down the staircase, I don't know. And you see her face, it's like, you know, pizza. And I'm like, wow, okay. And she says, this is what we're gonna do with you. And I'm like thinking, what, we're going to shoot it all in black and white? What's happening? I don't know. And she goes, we're giving you a scar. And, and I'm like, oh, no. And <laughs> then she tells me the story that it's like, you know, this, there was this explosion and I was double agent and I crossed, double crossed Robert and it's going to be why your relationship ended and we're going to do a whole backstory. And, and so I was like, okay, okay. And, and I, I remember walking away from there going, oh, my gosh, this, that. I'm going to pull that off. And yeah. And, um, and then later, uh, when they, I think when they just, so I think when they decided they were going to keep me, which probably came after that conversation, um, was when they then decided, oh, she's just wearing it for penance. And yeah, that was a whole other thing. And it was sort of like the moment when um, Ian came onto General Hospital this time and, and we were called up to Frank's office before we started working. And Frank said, okay, so Ian, this, it, it, you're really uh, phase, phase on right now. And so the, the, so the journey up in the elevator, me and Ian, we were like, oh, I wonder what it's about. Oh, yes, you're starting, da, 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 blah, 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 chat, 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 chat. He's just going to give you an insight into where we were going, I'm sure. And then the journey down was silent. <laughs> you crickets. You crickets. Because we were like, nothing. We had nothing. And then we had to go on set and work right then and there. So that we had like literally 20 minutes to, um, to kind of send that through the, through the computer in the brain. And yeah, so we were processing it still as we were shooting the scenes that he was actually actually phase on that's amazing um, yeah so yeah we had no that was that was that was our heads up um but you know i guess it's a good way of doing it because mm -hmm. you just you know it's all instinct well around the same era you uh you did a project that i absolutely must mention uh and that's your three episode stint on la law as lauren in 1987 because i recently found out and i've already shared with you that it was that appearance that kicked off my father's decades long crush on you. <laughs> he has never been impressed by anything that I have done professionally, except for the, when I was like, oh, I, I know her. 
Now I'm like, now I'm his favorite daughter. So <laughs> what was that experience like? And what was it like to work with Jimmy Smith, who was your character's love interest? The only part of that experience was working with Jimmy Smith. That was all of it. Like, I don't remember anything else. I don't remember words. I don't remember <laughs> anything. I just remember Jimmy Smith. And I was like, so excited. Like, I, I, it just, I, yeah. I mean, it was, it was my birthday every day. Okay. And um, I did, yeah, three episodes, I guess. I wasn't very good, but I was like, um, cause I remember I was supposed to cry as I, uh, and I was so nervous that I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I, I just was like, not, I couldn't feel emotional. It was weird, but, um, and then also they gave me a cigarette to smoke. Uh, and I hadn't yet met Anders, so I didn't know how to do it really well. And so, um, I, you know, and coming from London, you'd think I would, but I, I was not very, you know, and I wasn't inhaling, I wasn't doing it right. Um, cause they were like, oh, cause I think I was the murderer. Um, in the end it was discovered, but anyway, yeah, it was great. Jimmy was amazing and gorgeous, like just gorgeous, just a lovely, beautiful human being. I just loved him and, and he was great to work with and easy on the eyes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Anders in 1990, Anna's life was rocked by the arrival of Cesar Faison played by Anders Hove, a dangerous and obsessive villain from her past. So tell us about working with him. Well, he taught me how to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Three years too late. As soon as he left, I stopped because I was like, this is revolting. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not a smoker. Um, and, um, you know, as soon as he started, it was a different game. Like he brought a whole other game to the show for me. And uh, was so daring and um, just used to talk about different ways of doing scenes where, uh, you know, he would um, talk about like underneath, like what we were really doing, which wasn't actually what the words were. And so that was a whole other level. And I just, I took to that like a Dr. Water and he, he was great. He was a great person to work with. Fantastic nemesis for Anna, like amazing. And just, um, I think some of my, you know, most interesting scenes have been with him or about him. And, uh, you know, uh, just, just a really, uh, and I think the scenes with Ian and him and, um, you know, I think the three of us just play really well together. And uh, I, I really enjoyed him. And, but, but for me, like the best scene that he's ever done, or, or not that he's ever done, because he's incredible. He's the best, he's the best villain ever. Um, that's to coin Kimberly McCullough's uh, words, because she was tied up. He'd kept, he was keeping her tied up. And he came over to the, um, the hospital bed where he was, and he was talking to her. And I was watching, I was on this, I was watching. And, and when he, when, the, when they called cut, Kimberly just turned to the camera and she went, best villain ever. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, yeah, best villain ever. <laughs> um, and but the scene that kills me is the scene that he did with Michael Easton, where um, he's come to my apartment and he's looking for Anna. And <clears throat> he's talking about Anna being in love with him. And uh, Michael's like, I, I don't know, have you looked at yourself? <laughs> just like these just amazing lines that just back and forth and and um he played it for such drama that's the beauty of Anders he just he know his his instincts are ridiculous his instincts are ridiculous like this is a this is a he he's won awards so many awards in his native land i mean he's just in denmark he's just known as this um, amazing stage actor so and we got to work with him so he plays the whole thing for pathos and drama. And then you've got Michael Easton on the other side, just playing the whole thing as this straight comedy. And it's the best thing. And I was, I just happened to be up on set because, you know, I was in the next couple of scenes or whatever. And I was watching this and I was biting my tongue. It was amazing. It was an amazing scene. For me, that is like, that's my favorite kind of work. When there's drama and comedy in the same kind of milieu. It's amazing. Well, yeah. the year after uh, Anders joined the show, you decided to leave the show after uh, 
five years, no, six years, I think at that point. Seven. Seven. Um, so tell us about making that decision. Well, it was sort of a decision made for me. Like I got another job. I mean, I, I got, and it was for ABC. So it was an ABC job. So it was sort of in-house and I thought everybody was cool with it. Um, and uh, I guess at that point, I don't know. I just sort of, maybe it was a rash decision. I don't know, but I just sort of felt like I should go and try this other gig. And, um, and it was great. I mean, that was Jack's place and, uh, and it was with Hal Linden and, and, you know, that was, it was really lovely to uh, work with, with someone of his caliber, just that, you know, he, and of course, like I grew up watching some of his amazing shows. And, um, so the thing I can say about Hal and John Dye, who was uh, my co-star in it, um, was that Hal just had this comedic metronome, just knew exactly how to say anything comedic. It was really, it was really a masterclass. Like John and I used to just, we would laugh at ourselves because we were like, oh, okay, so we're playing, we're playing backgammon and he's playing chess. So, you know, who loses? Well, I guess me, us. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really great. Yeah, that was a very cool experience. You also appeared on several seasons of Blossom. You were in the Aaron Spelling primetime soap Pacific Palisades, and you had a recurring role on Charmed. So is there a role or a show from that era that's closest to your heart? Um, well, look, Pacific Palisades, I met my, my bestie. I met Michelle Stafford. And uh, we were on the phone a lot last night. Um, just she makes me laugh so much. And uh, so yeah, I mean, so that came out of that. And also Aaron Spelling, like we we got to work with Aaron, who was just oh my gosh, such a king of what he did. Like just really, you know, just just really. Um, like he was so invested in every aspect of the work. Like. He, you know, he made decisions about the way we look, like each character had to have their own look and you weren't allowed to change your hair or do anything without his say so. And so he just understood television. He said, you know, when people turn the television on, they need to know who they're looking at immediately. So you have to look sound and behave this, you know, it's just your characters. So um, they were all so amazing, like charmed. I made so many great friends there. Um, and that was such an incredible show. Uh, I wish I'd done more of those, but then by that point I'd moved to New York to do all my children. So I, I missed out on a lot of those episodes. Uh, and then I like to think that, um, with Blossom, I helped them jump the shark and, uh, cause the show ended pretty much, uh, the year that I joined. So, yeah. <laughs> or maybe two years, the second year that I was there. Um, but they, you know, Mayim Bialik is a smart, smart person and Joey Lawrence, just really great families and, you know, working with kids. And then Ted Wass, who was just a great guy, to, just a great guy, all around great guy. Yeah, lots of, lots of good folks. So, all right. So you came to do All My Children first as Alex, the heretofore unknown twin of Anna, later as Anna. I don't think I've ever talked to an actor who less enjoys a dual role than you, Finola Hughes. But <laughs> one thing really great that came out of your time on All My Children were so many great friendships that I know you still have today, including Ms. Kelly, oh, yes, me, me, she's pointing at me, Ms. <laughs> Kelly Ripa and Mr. Mark Consuelos. Uh, we just saw you and Kelly reunite on her talk show. Why do you think you guys clicked uh, as well as you clearly did? I'm not sure. You know, um, it, it, she's she's a force. She's amazing. She's like she's just amazing. And um, and it's it's really funny. Uh, like I spoke to Dylan um, just like when we got back here, and I said, "Oh God, that was so great!" Like because we we went. We went out to the Hamptons and we spent, you know, most of the time with them. And the kids all kind of reunited because they all grew up when they were younger. Like they would, we would go out and spend holidays with them and different things. And um, my son Dylan said, yeah, it was really interesting. What? Because we just like, you know, just were chatting all the time. And, um, and he said it was really interesting to watch you two talking because you have a, a real connection. And it's, it's. 
I don't know. I mean, her brain is so active. Um, she gets so, she's just a, she just gets so much uh, about life and, um, and she's always just been like that. And, and I think the first time I met her, and I know this has been said before, is she was walking down the hallway to me in the, the, the back hallways of all my children. This lovely blonde girl who I did actually, like I actually did my homework on all my children. I actually watched <laughs> the show and I understood what I was walking into. I knew who John Callahan was and I knew who, um, and I knew who Susan was, obviously. And, and I knew who she was and Cameron and they were working together at the time. And, um, and she's walking down the hallway to me and, and I had admired her because she was such a good actress and she starts spouting staying alive to me. Like she just is spouting this one speech from staying alive, which is, you know, um, uh, we, we, I don't, I don't, I don't know it. <laughs> she knew it. <laughs> I don't know it. And the only reason I recognized it was because, you know, it ends up with everybody uses everybody, don't they? And I was like, oh, that must be my speech from staying alive. <laughs> that must be it. As she's walking towards me, she's just reciting this thing. She's coming closer. And, <laughs> and I, I, I'm like a deer in the headlights. I'm like, okay. And she says, me and my sister, we play those roles together all the time. And we know all your words from staying alive. And I'm like, you do? Let's fast forward to 2012. Uh, you made your return to General Hospital and suddenly you found yourself briefly romancing Tony Geary's Luke and working again with Tristan and with Ian and Anders. The GH audience, of course, could not have been more embracing of your return and they were so thrilled to have Anna back. But what was your re-entrance onto the GH scene like? Well, I think um, coming back to GH was obviously something that I really wanted to do. And um, I came at a great time in my life and uh, and a lot of um, dreams came true actually for me because I got to work with Tony Geary, who was, you know, obviously one of my big heroes. And then, you know, we became really good friends and I've been out to see him in Amsterdam, in Amsterdam. I took my two kids to see him there. Um, and, and I also got to work with Maurice. Uh, that was like a big, you know, bucket list thing for me because, um, you know, I always admired both of those actors. And uh, so, you know, those things happened for, for me. me. I loved it, it was great. And um, I think, uh, you know, I came, I came in with, you know, that big sto story that my daughter Robin had passed away. And so, you know, you come in on a big emotional sort of roller coaster, uh, which is a good way to enter in a way. And um, it's just been wonderful. I mean, I think there's a, a lot of aspects to it. Uh, I think having Frank as your executive producer, it has been a real, uh, a real gift because like I knew him in New York. We went out to dinner several times and I've always admired him and just always found him very interesting. And he is, he's a super interesting guy. Um, he's kind of a Renaissance man, uh, but like, he's a sort of throwback in a way to Gloria because he, he also has his hand in everything that happens. Like he's, he's on the set. He comes down a couple of times a day, um, which Gloria used to, was there all the time. And, um, you know, so, and I think that because soaps have gone through so many changes over the past decade, I think you need somebody at the helm that is determined to keep the bus moving and um, really wants to keep this genre alive. And he's, he has his heart and soul in it. And, and everybody that's on the show really feels like that. You know, all the actors really feel like that. You know, I mean, I think it's, um, it's a, it's a really nice time to be on a soap because we, there's only four of us left. And I think we love doing it. Everybody that's doing soaps right now really loves it. And um, I'm really invested in keeping this, this, this storytelling alive. And, and I think it's a nice time. So Finola, we are far from the only Finola Hughes fans with questions for you. So we're going to pose a few to you from some General Hospital castmates. Oh, seriously? Uh-huh. Castmates? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Oh, no. So this question comes from a Mr. Michael Easton, who of oh. course plays Finn. He, he says, obviously, you are exceptional at doing accents. Most people probably don't realize you're actually from South Dakota. But if you were to tire of the whole British thing, who would be the one great character in fiction you would love to play and why? Carol Lombard. Mm. And I, I would like to do one of those real blondes from that era. You know, the ones that kind of really strutted in and they, they always held the gun at the end and bombshell blondes were pretty cool from the 1930s and 40s. So, and Carol Lombard, I think, has a, it was special because she had that real love affair with um, Clark Gable, my right? Yes, and with Clark Gable. And, um, and I remember reading, I guess I was reading biography or something like years and years ago that um, when she passed away, you know, when she died on that plane. And, and um, just, uh, I just feel like, you know, if I did stop being English, you know, for the day and, and, and I really did, you know, go with the, the Dakota accent, which I'm not entirely sure what that's like, but I'm sure, I'm sure Michael will tell me. Uh, then, yeah, Carol Lombard. Well, question number two is from Roger Howarth, who plays Austin. <laughs> he thinks you are a phenomenal These two actor. guys, by the way, talking of dreams coming true, <laughs> Michael Easton ha has been uh, with, just a revelation for me. I mean, it was just playing that, playing that um, love affair with between Anna and uh, Finn was just was just a walk along a, a wonderful path with cherry blossoms and what have you. It was just great. <laughs> it was just awesome. And then Roger Howarth, who I see in the hallway, I never actually get to work with him, and um, we just have these real esoteric conversations that I walk away from not really understanding. But during the moment, I, I, I play a good you know, song. Well, he obviously feels the same way. He thinks you are a phenomenal actress and admits to having stolen from you. And I should clarify that when an actor talks about stealing from an actor, they essentially mean trying to reproduce something that they've seen another actor do. So he wants to know who was the last actor you stole from and did it work? The last actor I stole from is... Uh, I, I probably Kate Winslet in um, in uh, Mayor of East Town because her no nonsense uh, and all, yeah her no nonsense with how she was dealing with with certain aspects of um, law and order uh, I kind of liked and you know I don't get to play very much of that law and order stuff I wish I got to do a bit more of it but you know sometimes. I just really like, I, I like the way she was doing. She was throwing her weight around. And she was just really, you know, she was really committed to um, that kind of straight, straight matter of fact. Uh, so yeah, I would say Kate Winslet. The next question comes from Cameron Matheson, who you worked with on All My Children when he played Ryan and are working with again now that he has joined GH's Drew. He says, I'm looking forward to the Drew Anna Valentine triangle. <laughs> what does Drew have to do to win you over? And then as a side note, he wants you to know that some of his favorite memories of all my children were getting to work with you. Yes, we, we did have a like, great time working together. And um, uh, he makes me laugh too. He's, uh, you know. Okay, so what he has to do to win me over <laughs> is, is um, basically blink. <laughs> open and close those baby blues. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll do it. Um, yeah, uh, that triangle. Well, I think that I don't know. Yeah. Well, next up is James Patrick Stewart Valentine, who asks number one, how do you take your tea, and number two, Land Rover or Aston Martin? Okay, how I take my tea is always <laughs> hour upon hour. Um, I take my tea, no milk with honey. So no milk and honey, which I'm sure will, will make me have to give my English subject card back. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. And um, what was the second question? Land Rover. Oh, Land Rover, for sure. A green one. A, green, a dark green one or a cream one. A real cream one. That would be beautiful. Okay. 
All right, the final questions come from Michael E. Knight, another former All My Children co-star who played Tad and is currently uh, playing opposite you as Martin on GH. Number one, New York or London. And number two, how do you stay fit eating so much toast? <laughs> See, no, I do. I eat so much toast. Like literally I can eat it three times a day. It's, per it's a perfect food. It's, an, it's, a, it's a complete, like it's an all round food. London now is sort of overwhelming to me. Not that New York isn't, but I just feel like I wouldn't know where to start in London. And um, whereas New York, there's something so, I know it's fast and people are, you know, rude and they're like, already at Starbucks already. And, you know, they just, that was a bad Nebraska. <laughs> um, uh, and, but there's something so forgiving about New York because there's something like, I just, like, I've always felt like it's a huge monster that starts about 4 a.m. in the morning. And it keeps going till about 3 a.m. the next day. And it's just this big monster and you get on it and you ride it until you go to bed. And there's something so forgiving about everybody who's on the dragon. You know, they're all like on there, they're holding on for the, and the wind is blowing in their hair and they're just holding on to the monster as it goes. And they look over to the other people and they're like, yeah, I see ya. And I know it's hard, but we got this. And I just feel like that in New York. I just feel that sort of thing, like you're all in it together. And the reason that somebody says, are you getting on the subway or not? Is because they need to get on the subway. And if, and if they don't wake you up, you're probably not gonna get where you need to go either. So it's like, come on, you on or you off? Like, cause I need to get on. And so I don't know, I mean, I just, I love them. Uh, the moment that I, I mean, I've always been in love with New York, but the moment that I totally fell in love with it when I uh, moved out there was one morning. It was after I'd been there for six months and I was still coming to terms with the fact that parking could cost you $17 for 20 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> what? Are you, I, I, well, you know, you didn't get out within the 15. I was like, it was 25 minutes. Like, no, I'm sorry. Every half hour it's, it's $17. And I was just like, I couldn't come to terms with it. Well, one day it was snowing and all the subways were closed, the buses were done, no cabs we had, and I had to get in my Jeep to go to work. And I was so nervous, I hadn't driven in New York. But of course there was nobody. And the whole of the West Side Highway was blanketed in white. And I drove down the West Side Highway at 6 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This, I'm in love. I'm sold, done done deal. Where do I sign? I'm in. And that was the moment, you know? Right. And I picture myself there in my old age with a little plastic bag that I've picked up at the supermarket and it's full of maybe canned pineapple now because I'm not sure <laughs> I'll be able to cut into it. And, you know, maybe some tuna for the cat or whatever. And I've got my little plastic bag and I'm shuffling around back to my apartment. And that's, I could see myself doing that because I think New York is a great place to grow old. To your current story now, we are seeing a possible romance blossoming between Anna and Valentine. So tell us about what, tell us what you think about that and about working with James Patrick Stewart. Well, James is fantastic. I mean, I've known James for years and years and years. We were at the same acting coach. Um, we were at the same acting coach together. So I love him. And he's the laugh. You know, um, all the boys that you ask questions of, like they're all super funny, uh, which is really nice. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I think like he has such acting chops that you just kind of lean into it. I mean, he's another one like Michael Lee. You just sort of lean into the scene and you know he's going to catch you. And, um, and he works really hard and we do, we do these weird things. Like we call each other and we FaceTime each other, uh, the night before we work and we talk about the scene and, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. Um, so, I mean, I'm very excited because I think that, you know, where Michael Easton's character, where Finn was trepidatious about Anna lying, <laughs> uh, Valentine and Anna, they expect that of each other. And I think that's the difference. I think that they can move forward with their boundaries being a little more muted in a way. Mm -hmm. So.
I just like that he's so unabashedly all about her. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, so um, we had a conversation a few months ago about how like Anna needed a win, was I think how you put it. I think a lot of viewers agreed with you on that. I, I know I did. Um, you know, she had all this guilt over Peter and then she was taking a lot of heat from Maxie, from Finn, for lying, for covering for Peter and so forth. But I feel like in the past few months, it's been like a breath of fresh air. And I feel like we're seeing, we've seen sort of a turn um, in a more winning direction, perhaps we'll say. Have, have you gotten that sense too, that like Anna's kind of getting her groove back? And if so, what do you attribute it to? Yeah, it's the writers. The writers have started to put things in there where um, I've stopped apologizing and, you know, I'm starting to fight back a little bit. And, uh, you know, I really hope that uh, it, it goes the full force. You know, I, I don't know how that's going to translate over the next few months. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do really feel that Anna needs a win. Like, she just needs to. And, and, and I think that it comes from yourself, like from, from oneself. I mean, if, if, the, if the writers are sort of looking into it, psychologically she does have to stop stop apologizing and she does have to start stepping up to the people that are, are holding her back which which you know she's got to figure out the peter thing and i was thinking about the peter thing actually earlier <clears throat> and that the biggest the biggest um point of the whole peter thing now is maxi and keeping the baby safe and you know, of course, she doesn't know where the baby is. Um, but that to me uh, is because that's the relationship, the relationship between Peter and Maxie is the one that has the most things, the most to lose and the most to gain from getting rid of Peter um, because Maxie's really in danger. I, I don't believe that Anna thinks that she's in danger. And I don't think, you know, I mean, I think she knows that he's kind of a difficult person to deal with. Mm -hmm. But I think that she, if, if um, that maxi portion of it is looked after, I think would be, and I'd love Anna to be able to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not a big secret that a lot of viewers did have a tough time accepting the idea that Anna had a son with Faison, which we know is not the case. Peter is her nephew. Now, obviously you don't write the show, but did you understand where that resistance was coming from? from the audience? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's interesting because going into the story, I did not see that coming. I know that's probably naive, but I was like, oh, you know, it just could have been something that happened back then, but I guess it sh shouldn't have. And so um, it, it's interesting. It's like the writers and the audience had, had the characters back. And so they sort of rewrote it. And um <clears throat> And I think it's better, obviously. Anna has that sort of hero thing that I think people want to believe in, and that's kind of, kind of nice. Well, last year you celebrated the 35th anniversary of your GH debut, incredibly enough. But before we let you go, can you put into words how getting that job and playing Anna has changed your life and you know just what GH has meant to you both personally and professionally? Well, it's, it's, it means everything. Like, you know, I, I feel like GH is my family. Um, you know, my work family, for sure. I feel like um, it's made it possible for me to stay here in America. You know, it made it possible for me to, to live here. And um, it's created an incredible life for, for, for me. And it's also, you know, uh, fulfilled so many wishes and dreams of just being an actor and just acting every day. You know, I, I, like we, we are as, as soap actors, we're so lucky. And I don't think people understand that, that, that a lot of actors only work for a portion of the year and we get to work and, and play all year round. And, um, you know, it's a really interesting way of working because you're creating, but on the one hand, you're also very much in a, you're also very much part of a, um, a not business, but it's a, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a, it is a business in a way. It's a the business of making this piece of television that goes out every, every single day. 
and you work very closely with everybody. So, you know, it's not like going to a, a film set where you're not called all day. You know, you do work all the time that you're there. And I just, you know, it's, it's, um, I think we're just very lucky and I get to see the same people every day and, you know, you get to hang out. Like I get, I hung out with James and Roger yesterday in the hallway and it was really funny. And so it's a, a huge part of my life. And, um, and I feel very fortunate that I got that gig all those years ago. Well, we feel fortunate we got to talk to you today and hear <laughs> all of your stories. Thank you so much. And we hope to do this again soon because trust, we have like a whole other list of questions to ask you next time. <laughs> I think that's it. Like, I don't think there are any other questions. <laughs> I, I literally think that's it. I don't, there's nothing else. <laughs> well, thank you. It was so great to talk to you and have a great day. Thank you. I will. I will. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Fanola Hughes for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.